0: This last year, I've had two kind of monumental anniversaries, and sitting and watching your children today was a little overwhelming for me because to look at someone nine years old and realize it was at nine years old when I decided to be a missionary. February 10th of this year, I've been a Christian for 55 years. I accepted Christ when I was eight years old. And in the fall, in September of 2017, I had been in Mexico for 40. So I do love to be able to say I kept my promise that I committed to be a missionary. Um, But as we shared last night, sometimes our roads to get there are bumpy. And today I'm giving you a message that has been something I've been living in my life. But I think it's important for us to look at because it's an important lesson for me that I'm learning at 63 and wish I would have learned it a lot younger. But um, I grew up in a Christian home. I was very, very fortunate. Uh, My parents loved missionaries, but they didn't want their child to be a missionary. And so it was every father's dream come true when I called them, not on a cell phone because we didn't have cell phones in 1977, But I called my parents, I'm the only girl. I grew up in West Texas. I don't know if you know what that means, but um, the girls don't ever go off and leave their home. My brothers married their high school sweethearts and stayed home, and I went to this horrible place called California, first of all, and then to go to college, and then I decided to go into Mexico. And I remember calling my parents on a a payphone, and i just finished college. I had a degree in speech therapy. My parents were like, yes, you know, she doesn't have a husband, which was a horrible thing, Um, that I didn't have a husband when I got out of college, especially going to a Bible college, because can't you find a husband? Every girl goes to Bible college and finds a husband. And I call him and tell him the great news that I feel I'm going to move to Tijuana, Mexico. And um, like I said, every father's dream come true is to get that call. And I remember my dad said, and this will date me, he said, well, write us a letter. I said, no, my car's packed. I'm going to Tijuana, Mexico. And I think back to that, looking into the eyes of the children and realizing how young I was when I made a commitment to be a missionary. And how looking out over today's audience and seeing how young I was, some of you were the same age when I went to Tijuana to live at an orphanage. Where we had no phone, so I was my parents were really at the mercy of me coming back into the states because I went to Tijuana, which is um, just south of San Diego, California, and I went there to live to work with these children who had come from the Tijuana dump and what I learned about them was this that even though they did have a roof over their head and they had three meals a day and they had an education, they all wanted to live with their family and so a more, my husband and I have made it our life purpose to house as many families as we possibly can, and you've been a part of that. And so today, the passage that we're going to look at is Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Will that come up on the screen? Um, If not, I'm going to read it anyway. So this is from the New American Standard Bible, but I'm also going to go back and forth between the NIV because there's some things that are said in each one of them that I think are appropriate for the message that we're going to have today, which is, are you empty or are you full? And I want to look at it through a different kind of a paradigm because I think that we do, and I hope that I can kind of look at that for you with me as well and talk about how sometimes this fullness gets in the way of us being empty on behalf of Christ. So if you'll read with me, having this attitude in yourself, starting with verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. That's why I like this one. I like this this concept of what does it mean for Jesus to have emptied himself? Taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, we look at that passage and we see what strikes me the most is this emptied himself. We see this passage in the NIV, though, starts off on verse 5 a little bit different. And that's why I want to use them both. Because I like this attitude of empty oneself in, in this passage. But in the NIV, it talks about becoming nothing. What does that mean that Jesus became nothing? But this is a crucial part that I think the NIV makes that is not made in the New American Standard Bible. But it talks about this passage in the NIV starts off with verse 5. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ. See, in the New American Standard Bible, it talks about you need to have this mindset. But in the NIV, it talks about you need to have this mindset in your relationship with other people. So we are told that we are made in the image and the likeness of God, and yet we have the ability to decide what we want that image and likeness to look like. What do we want people to see when they see us? And so when we look at, at this passage, we go to love one another as I have loved you. That's a, that's a command. Love one another as I have loved you. Ponder that for a second. What does that mean? See, for me as a missionary, this is what it means. I love myself enough to provide a home for myself. So if I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, isn't it, isn't it something that I'm called on to do? If I empty myself, I take on the image and I take on the likeness of Jesus Christ. If I think about the relationships that I have with others, wouldn't I want others to have what I have? See, we don't think we step into Scripture enough. We kind of pull back and say, you know, well, that's not really my responsibility. But I think this passage tells us, yeah, it is. So I have lived my life saying, you know what? My passion is housing. My passion is people coming to know Jesus Christ through housing. We have thousands and thousands, over half a million people have gone on trips with us over the years. And I would uh, probably say that there's a good portion of those that came that weren't Christians that became Christians on the trip. I know lots of them that have. But love one another as I have loved you means that I look at what I have and I want it for others. See, he didn't see equality with God something to be taken to his own advantage. He relinquished that. One of the things that if you come to the more Europe presentation, you're going to talk about how we diffuse power. I mean, one of God's greatest characteristics is he gave up his power and let us choose or reject him. We had that ability to do that. We were given that. He didn't make us choose him. He allows us to choose him. You see, we saw that he didn't use equality with God something we grasp. What's so powerful to me is Jesus was on the throne of God. I mean, when we think about we're in the Easter season, we, we think about what all he's done. But the reality is Easter means nothing if we don't think about what only he has done, but what is he asking us to do? And that we don't use equality or being in God's kingdom To our own advantage. Because we saw that clearly when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. See, he became a servant in human form. He emptied himself. He became nothing. I remember when I first learned, he literally left the throne of God. He gave up the throne of God on my behalf. And in Ephesians, it talks about when he went back. He sat at the right hand of God. Who does that? Who does that? Jesus did it, but he wants us to do it as well. He humbled himself to death on a cross. And as we draw closer to Easter, the focus, as it should be, is on Jesus and what he did. And yet, we are being asked to do the same as Christ. So our question today is, are we empty or are we full? I believe when God created us, he wired us for emptiness. The Greek word kenosis, self-emptying, sacrificial love, means that Jesus emptied his own will. He emptied his own will and he took on God's will. Even Jesus. Jesus emptied his own will and took on God's will. Jesus wants us to empty our own will and take on God's will every day. You know, that's a hard thing for me. And I've had to ask myself... How does that look? And I'll tell you, one of the first ways it looked for me was this, 23 years old, moving to Tijuana, Mexico, 1977, and I had $50 support each month. Now in 1977, $50, was a, $50 American dollars was a lot more than it is today, obviously. But it was still not very much money. And I remember waking up one morning and the orphanage director came to me and she said, do you have any money? And I had about $50 to buy shampoo, all my little needs would have to be met. I had a car. My job was to pick children up from school or take them to school or take the orphanage director to a medical appointment for one of the children. And so $50, as much as it seemed like in 1977, wasn't very much when you thought of the wide variety of things that I had to use. And at Mona Martha, the orphanage director, Sister Martha, came to me and said, Gayla, do you have any money? was at the beginning of the month. I had just gotten it. I was going to buy all the things that I needed to wash my clothes and everything that I needed. And she said, we don't have money for milk this week. And it was, I think, my first experience of what it meant to empty myself of a resource that I counted on. We count on these resources, and we put so much faith in them that we don't want to lose them. And I remember thinking... Okay, what am I going to do if I don't have this money? But the emptying myself was about, but this isn't really my money. 23 years old, I learned, this isn't my money. This is his money, and the kids need milk. And it wasn't like she was going to come back and say, hey, I want to give you your $50 back. When I gave her that money, it was gone because she was going to need it for resources And she probably wouldn't be able to replace it. But I learned then that it was better. I may have thought I was full that morning. I was full of $50. But I emptied myself and said, what they need is more important. And it was a great learning lesson for me because I only had brothers. And even though I did not grow up in a wealthy home, I grew up where I had my own bathroom. As a matter of fact, one of the things that the kids would ask when Americans or or people would come and visit the orphanage, they'd all run up to him and say, "Do you like to shower every day like Gala does? (laughs) I wanted to have a shower every day. There were so many times I didn't. I learned so much from there because there was so much that I didn't have to share. That's what happens when we empty ourselves." I think the spiritual journey that we're on is not about getting more or getting ahead. The spiritual journey that we're on is about being more. If every person took only, this is from St. Basil, the Bishop of Caesarea. If everyone took only what was sufficient for their needs, leaving the rest to these and what there would be, no rich or poor. If every person took only what was sufficient for their needs, leaving the rest to those in want or need, there would be no rich or no poor. Why is that so hard for us? Why is equality something that we are dealing with worldwide? I tweeted one day, because I've really pondered this question, When I look at Acts 4 and you look at the early church and they had all things in common and the wealthy actually went and sold their goods and their property so that they could take care of others and that they could share, that's what I read in Scripture growing up. And yet I look at a world, and honestly in the church, how can we struggle with equality? How can we struggle with sharing what we have with others? We tendency to put them on a grid and say, well, they're not working hard enough or they're not doing this hard enough, a grid that we don't sometimes even put ourselves on. And so if every person took only what was sufficient for their needs, see, they had all things in common. Why don't we want it to be this way? What about equality scares us so much? We're afraid we wouldn't have somebody to wait on us, to serve us what would the world look like if that happened? And even though we are made to be in the image and likeness of God, we seek oftentimes to fill ourselves more than empty ourselves. We're so busy doing that that we can lose sight of what it means to be empty. And... Oftentimes, we're so busy filling up that we don't even see those who are empty for no reason of their own. They've been oppressed. They are living in injustice. They have had something happen to them that they had no control over. So we start thinking about all the things that they could have done differently. But there's some reality in the world in which we live. Yes, there are people living in poverty in Mexico. And yes, there has been corruption in our government. And yet many of those are people are victims of a situation they had no control over. And sometimes we are so busy filling ourselves up that we forget of the emptiness of others that God has given us the privilege to be able to serve. And I can tell you, that's what I feel like my life has been like. I get to do that. I remember hearing a pastor speak. Years ago, and he said he was going to try something new. Maybe this is something you guys should try. But he said when people would call their church, they'd say, what what does your church have to offer us? Our family. And he decided to try a new question. What does your family have to offer our church? What does your family have to offer our church? And he said the response was so interesting because actually, he thought maybe people would get upset that they asked it. Maybe they'd hang up the phone. Or who knows what they were going to respond. So many of them responded, "Of this is what I can do. Because when we give people the opportunity, when we begin to use our emptiness to fill up others who are empty, then we give dignity. Housing is a place of dignity for the families. So many times, it is the thing that changes how a family sees themselves. I told a story last night. Our pastors, we don't go into any location without working through a local ministry planning board. So that when the house is actually given to the family, it's a gift from that local church. It may be from the rebuild group of LIM, and it may be from a more. But in reality, we want it to be from the local church. We want them to see that there is a God that loves them and cares about them and believes in them. And so we have these pastors that make the decision, and they pick the families. They have criteria. The local pastors in Mexico. It's important that you know that. And they have created a criteria by which they give a family a home. And the family has to qualify for it. And one of the responsibilities of the family is that they have to either be buying the land or have purchased the land. So I would love to say that we build for families who are the poorest of the poor, but we don't because we have to. Because of our relationship in Mexico, a good one with the government is that we would build so that families who have land will have a house instead of people that are squatters. And so our pastors do take care of squatters, and they minister to them, but they don't typically qualify for a house if they can't buy the land. And so here they are, and they have their responsibility. But several years ago, a pastor came to me, and he said, Gayla, we'd like to build this home for this family, and it hasn't been gone through our process and hasn't been approved. And so I said, why are you asking me? You don't need to ask me. And they said, well, yeah, I'm asking you because I need you to go back to the groups that are in Mexico. We have hundreds and hundreds of people in Mexico right now building. And he said, I want you to ask if there's a group that, number one, would be willing to build an extra house. No easy chore, is it, if you've been on a trip and this week. And we want to know if you can get the people to fund it. And we were able to go and make that plea and at a campfire a group from California stood up and said, We will not only build it, um, we will pay for it. And I said, But what's the story of the family? Why why are why are you deciding that you wanted to build this? And they said, because the father had been looking for a job for weeks and weeks and hadn't been able to find one, had given up hope. And he had given up hope and he said, I'm gonna go to cross the border into the United States. And I am going to go get a job. And he told his wife, I want you to go back and live in southern Mexico. We live, we're live, we working in northern Mexico at the time. And he said, I want you to go back. And I want you to go live with your family. And I want you to put our kids in an orphanage here so that if I can come back, I can and get you. And our statistics show us that when that happens, families rarely stay together. And so we trust our pastors to do the right job. And we trust them to pick the right families. And yet something transformational took place in the life of this family when they were approved for a home and we were able to keep this family together. So much so that within a week after they received their home, a week after they received their home, a family that was empty became full in the way that God would want them to be full. Father found a job, a job that was there weeks before, but he'd lost hope. At the end of the video today, we talk about come build hope, and that's what you do. That little short animated video tells the story the best we can tell it, which is a house is the foundation for a family's life, and they're receptive to the gospel. This father, who couldn't find a home for his family, could not find a job to provide the resources, who was getting ready to cross into another country undocumented, was able to keep his family together, and he became a leader in that church. That's what happens when we recognize those who are empty next to us. See, empty in ourselves means to love all others the way Jesus loves us. It's about being more, not having more, or doing more. I have been created in his image, so what do others see? Richard Rohr says, to many, surrendering and letting go sounds like losing. Let's think about that. To many, surrendering and letting go sounds like losing. But they're actually about accessing a deeper, broader sense of self, which is already whole, already content, already filled with the abundant life. Several years ago, um, I was over here in 2015 for my sabbatical, shared time with some of the people who are on the Amor team, and I was totally 100% burned out. I can relate to this part that says it's uh, sometimes about being more, not having more or doing more. I have grown up with an ethic that says maybe the more I serve God, the more he'll love me. I got so busy serving God throughout my ministry that often I forgot about him. And in 2015, we came on a reflective sabbatical because I began to think, what happens now? Yes, half a million people have gone on more trips. 19,500 homes have been built. I don't even know how many lives have been transformed and i don't know all the stories that in itself is worthy it was a reflection of who who i was and where god called me the emptying of myself was a more ministries but i realized do i really want to have my life end not knowing him as intimately as i should Because I was nowhere near ready. I didn't want to die knowing that, yeah, I got this right, but this big part I didn't get right. Yeah, I maybe emptied myself in my way, but it was not about being more. And it wasn't about having more. But maybe it was about doing more. So busy serving God that we can neglect him. And our image is tied up and what we do for him, as if God is lucky to have us on his team. I was tired and I was exhausted and I was ready to be done. And there are people here who can attest to that. And I began a journey that took me to a place that last summer I found myself in the hospital going into surgery with now knowing 12 hours later if I had had this surgery I would have died. Two feet of my small intestine was taken out. My husband said, I passed by him because I have been working on this aspect, this not filling myself, but emptying myself. Emptying myself, taking on the form of a servant, and counting equality with God, not something to be grasped. It was a tough time, but my husband said I came by, and I'm going to tell you, I was on morphine. But he said I passed by him and said, don't worry about me. I'm ready to go no matter what. And I realized I couldn't have said that two years ago. But it's because I've spent this part of my journey emptying myself in order to be the best that I can be for God. So what does that mean for us today? very simple to me, more of him, less of me. More of him, less of me. I think if you come to the Amore Europe presentation today, what you're going to hear is a lot of really fun things. They're going to show you how to use a water filter. We're going to talk about transformational experiences. But the thing that I think you're going to hear the most is, without a shadow of a doubt, this is a group of people who want Jesus Christ to be at the center of what they do. They want to empty themselves. Now, going back to this pastor who said, what do you have to offer the church? He also said something else. He said, we become spiritual pigs. We're so busy filling ourselves up. We're so afraid that we're not going to get full that we have lost sight of what it means to be empty. Empty is a privilege. Empty is, is becoming nothing. Empty is about not being recognized because it doesn't matter. What really, really matters when it's said and done isn't all the houses. That's a reflection of my likeness of who I did to be the, in the image of God. But What I want people to say now about me when I'm gone she emptied herself. She emptied herself. She became nothing on behalf of Christ. More of him, less of me. So to many, it does sound like losing. But it's actually about accessing a deeper, broader sense of self, which is always whole, already content, already filled with the abundant life. Let us pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O God, my Lord and Savior. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.